0: Hey John, how you doing? I'm doing awesome.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Well, you know what? It's been uh, quite a journey. Uh, I'm I'm two and a half years in that, a bit more than two and a half years into that project. And um, when this gonna air, um, I, I think I'm gonna be almost three years in that project. And um, the 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 line of people that actually wants to be part of the journey is just like humbling and and i'm blown away by it you know like so so i thank you in advance you know for being part of that um this is you know uh, kind of almost like overwhelmed by you know like i i, I didn't expect that you know like it was um, the genesis of it was not um there there aren't any grandiose uh ambitions you know it was uh my money spent in the in the matter of making this the best quality sounding thing in terms of what i could do and uh, after that it was um looking for something that you know like i I couldn't find myself you know like so so it was kind of a um yeah you know like it, it so thank you for being here. You know, really.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's a pleasure. And, and, and I love that, that you're doing this. I think it's really important. Um, You know, I, I have a podcast called Between the Before and After. And really, I think you're doing something similar here. F- for me, it's about sharing stories of people because social media shows like two glimpses into somebody's life with yep. the before and the after, but they don't show the story, the struggle, how they've overcome the lesson they've learned and so on. And so you're really creating that space for this to happen, which I think is awesome
0: yeah and kind of the casual conversation you know, like you know like there was um i always tell that to my guests um a lot of the times where i could only find kind of the two ends of the spectrum you know like there was like the very very niche project of you know like you know alcoholics anonymous for example that would do kind of almost like a meeting online but you know like they they have very little financial resources so and you know bless them but you know and i i come from there you know like so so and i still attend meetings so um but at the same time like they didn't have much funds in there and and it sounded a bit crappy to be quite honest and and if you didn't know what the vocabulary of these uh fraternities were, um you were lost you know like you you just didn't understand some of this stuff in there yeah and um you know, like they have those like those key pro code and you're know, like, they're like, hey, hey, you know, you know, let go, you know, like, and if you don't know what letting go is in terms of, you know, like that, the, the, fr- the frats, you know, like it's, it's, it, it is just, you know, like you get lost at the same time, at the other end of the spectrum, those people were way too clean for me, you know, like, and, and I mean, clean with big, air quotes here but you know like yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> like the full-blown veganism um full-blown um you know like the 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 it was just crazy you know like it, it was just like like you know like yoga class taking and you know like the old what thing would it be and- almost
1: like taking um t- taking one addiction and, and sort of replacing it with another so in other words the the element of behavior that drove the addiction was still present but it was showing up in a different way And why I ask that is because I'm like, I've been involved in the world of health and bodybuilding and sport and things like that. And, and I see that in this area, you know, where, where people take something that could be a good thing and turn it into an extreme. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And and when I say that, it's not necessarily the, um, it's almost like the aura of the old thing, you know, like it's not necessarily, you know, like I, I've. You know, like the compulsive behaviors I've I've applied in pretty much every fucking aspects of my life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I, I started getting back, uh, you know, in shape and fell in love with the Spartan races. And, you know, like next thing you know, one summer I had, you know, 10 done. You know, like it was just un- until I almost broke my back, you know, like and, and you know, like I, I hurt my back at least. Um, and so, you know, I know exactly what that is. What I'm saying is, like, the aura of what I could find was really, um, well, huge production companies behind it. Uh, obviously, some some um, financial ambitions, you know, like you know, like a uh, buy yeah, the yeah. shirt and and you know subscribe to that thing and so on and so forth. Since um, I have to give you know a big shout out to a few people in French, there are a few uh, podcasts that are really really interesting that goes in that direction more of the casual conversation around sobriety and around changing people's lives. Um, and in, and in English, I have someone in mind, um, and his first name just popped out, but you know, like the the podcast (laughs) is called really good shares. Um, and there's the who and how club, um, both are fascinating, super interesting to listen to. And, um, I actually encourage everyone, you know, like to, to, because, you know, like sometimes, um, for whatever reasons, because, you know, like people have testified of that, but, you know, like listening to this in in your car and, you know, doing dishes and shit like that helps, you know, like, so, so I, I'm going to keep doing it just because of that, you know, like someone had all I needed was one person to just write me a quick, you know, DM and say, Hey buddy, you know, like you're, you're just fucking saving my ass here. And, you know, I was done, you know, like I'm going to do this, yeah, until yeah. like, you know, whenever, you know? So, yeah, yeah,
1: I love that. So that was the who and how club. And that's yeah, podcast. I think it's the who, who and how
0: the guy's name, Iris, R A R Y S. And, uh, the other one is really good shares. Um, both these individuals are phenomenal people, really good shares as kind of a, different way and different approach to kind of his production and all that you know like it's not you know like um the gas is not like a, it's not a live recording there's some montage behind it it's really interesting you know like there's there's a nice production out of you know coming out yeah, of it. yeah. um and aris is like really like Pretty much like me where, you know, like he he just opens up his guts and, and, and spill it, you know, like, and, and has like all kinds of people, all kinds of, um, people coming from all kinds of, um, you know, uh, upbringing and, and, you know, like, it's super interesting. I had both of them as guests and there were, there were fascinating conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, sounds sounds like there's a couple of good guests and maybe I'd I'd love to dive into your story uh, over on my, my show so I get to be on the other oh, side of the I'd mic. Be,
0: <laughs> I'd be I'd be I'd be honored. You know, like it's uh you really, you know, like so okay. Let's um it's uh you know, like I have now since about 6 to 8 months like an extraordinary extraordinary uh regular programming portion, which is my first question. Um that question is where are you located on this planet? And um, also, how has been uh, going the pandemic for you so far?
1: Well, I'm I'm located in Red Deer, Alberta. So uh, we joke that our city is the cleavage between Calgary and Edmonton because we're, we're basically ha- halfway in between, and we're we're set in the River Valley. And so, um, for for your American listeners, we're north of Montana. Um, and you know, three years ago, it's three and a half years ago now. I had my one of my businesses fail, and it cost me a life savings, and that was pretty devastating. That's one of the one of the the things I've gotten, I guess, in my backstory are things that I've overcome. And at that point in time, I I decided I was going to set up an online business where somebody couldn't take it away from me in a sense. And yeah. that got me into doing what I do now, which is freedom nutrition coaching, my online nutrition coaching business. I didn't know when I was building this little business that I was going to build something that was going to be pandemic resilient. And so I feel like incredibly fortunate that I wasn't trying to transition to an online business when the pandemic hit but i kind of already had two years in and so it wasn't like i was i was starting from scratch and so i think i really it's not that it's been easy like business has been a challenge for sure um the it's it's been up and down and i think just about everybody you'd find in this space will say like it's you know those who have survived like it's it's almost an accomplishment just to still have your business and and still yep. you know and and so on so i feel really really fortunate you know um it, it kind of at first i was a little bit disappointed truthfully because it was like business is really going in a good direction and then the pandemic hit and everything shut down and everybody kind of got scared and skittish and they weren't sure it was going to happen and so then things kind of tanked a little bit and then and then it started to rebound again in the summer and and so it's been this really interesting ride but but through it all i think because i have like a good business and i'm i'm good at what i do That there's enough there to to keep it going. So really, in a nutshell, I say I I feel extremely fortunate to have weathered the pandemic as well as we have. And in this time, my son was born as well. So that's pretty incredible. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. He's nine months old now.
0: Wow. So you're sleepless.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's uh, he's going through like a sleep progression right now. And (laughs) I tell you what, it's a good thing. He's adorable. Um, A smile from him just lights up my day. And you know, when I walk into the room, his arms flap like he just gets so excited that he can't contain himself. Now he doesn't snuggle me. He's not a snuggler, but he he wants to be touching me. Like I'll sit in your lap, but I must be facing out so I can flap all of my limbs. You know, but uh, you know the the joy that I get from just seeing his reaction when when he hasn't seen me, even just for a few minutes when I come back, it, like it makes the sleepless nights worth it. Like I just absolutely you know? yeah
0: yep yeah, it is uh it it is surprising that um you know like I I had my oldest quite young and. You know it, it goes from waking up at noon and still feeling tired to not <laughs> yeah. sleeping at all and well sure enough feeling tired but being able to 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 work and to you know like to continue your 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 busy schedule yeah. you know, like, which is almost odd you know like you're like i didn't fucking sleep for the past <laughs> two days you know, like it's yeah. what's going on with me you know like and, and i think oh, we yeah. become adults i i really think you become an adult um When you get a kid, you know, like some, some takes more time, you know, like it, you know, and I'm, I'm part of that club, but, um, there's really something happening first in the moms for sure. You know, like it's almost like genetic, but the, um, but the, 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 the male too.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like. Because my brother has has two kids. My brother lives over in Turkey, actually, and so I, he has a son that I, I've got a nephew that I haven't met yet. He was born in in 2019, and we hadn't we weren't able to get there in 2020 or 2021, for that matter. And uh, but I remember asking him when when I was expecting our we were expecting our first. You know, like what what's something that stands out to you? And he said like when you hold your child in your arms for the first time. Like he said he it's like he felt something physically change inside of him. Yep. And I was like, I, I remember that. Uh, you know, and it was, it was, I mean, I was there for the whole birth. I, I, I was right in the thick of it supporting my wife. I mean, my, my gosh, women are incredible. Mothers are incredible. Childbirth yep. is, I, I'm like just blown away by that, the, you know, like I always had an admiration for mothers and motherhood, but witnessing it firsthand pregnancy and childbirth and now coming, you know, like it's just, it's wow. I, my wife is an amazing. It's crazy. It's great. I like, I just love her more than ever, especially when I just see how incredible she is with, with our little boy. Like, it's just, you know, I I think again, I'll I'll come up in the morning and, you know, maybe he'll sit in her lap and they'll be, you know, singing happy. If you know, if you're happy, you know, clap your hands or something. And he's kind of clapping along and smiling and giggling. And, and it's just like, everything feels right with the world in that moment, you know? Yeah. You know, my wife is a trained um, children's entertainer. So she's like a clown and a, a performer, an improv theater performer and, and does like live stage theater and stuff. And so she's a natural entertainer as well. So I'm like, man, did
0: I. <laughs> she has, she has like found yeah. the greatest fan yeah. without even saying a word, you know, like it's it's greatest, oh. you know, like biggest fan, you know, like both <laughs> yeah. you and their mom, which, you know, yeah, yeah. can I tell you like a quick story about, you know, like yeah. the, you talked about the physical change of your, of your brother. Um, in the first 24 hours, I remember it's been my, my, I have three kids, 24, 20, and I have a six years old now. Okay. Um, and, uh, my 24th, um, within the first 24 hours, I remember, uh, we didn't sleep much, uh, for, you know, like for, for labor and, um, I, you know, like, so, so when, when she were done, uh, she was, you know, everything was cool. And, you know, like we, we knew the kid was safe, the baby was safe. I told my wife, okay, I, my 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 girlfriend at the time, I'm gonna go, you know, at, at home, take a shower, be back, and she's like, okay, I'm gonna do the same. So they have like that that little baby place where you know like yeah, for the yeah. kids and all that, um, and uh, and so I go, take a shower, come back, and when I come back, so I go to the floor of you know like the the. Um, you know like the the babies and you know um when i got out of the elevator i knew that you know like they must be at that place you know like that that you know there's a few babies there sure yeah yeah. and so i turn a corner um go into that 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 room and i see my my ex you know like the mother um shaking and trembling and she has the baby in her arms and the nurse is freaking out as well i'm like okay so what's up and um they're like okay let's get back to the room ba 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 i'm like okay and she mench- she tells me that um when she got out of the shower she went back to that place to you know bring back the kid into the room and the nurse was arguing with someone pretending to be the dad and so he's like he has like his back um you know like so so he ha- he's turned back to like the the to to my ex and um, the nurse isn't so. My my wife is in front of the nurse, and in between, there's that guy that which has his back turned, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, but I forgot because we had like that little pass card," and she's like, "Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I forgot my card, but you know, like I'm the, I'm the father, blah blah blah," and so um my ex comes in, and she's like, "Oh, so ooh, 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 what's going on?" And as the nurse mentions, "Well, I haven't met with you know." Uh, mr leclerc yet and um i I just wanted to see the past so and as she says that 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 the individual turns around leaves the baby in my ex arms and leaves and flees and so they're telling me that i'm like holy shit wow (laughs) so someone was trying to like steal my kid what the fuck you know and and wow yeah you 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 talked about physical change at that precise moment when i realized what was going on and what could have happened i knew in my gut that i could kill yeah yeah you know like it it wasn't you know like it was almost like a relief that it wasn't me because i i i scared myself you know like i i i was like Well, it's uh, you know, like I, like full of wisdom. I said something like, "Well, it's a good thing it wasn't me." And she's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Because what I just felt right now in my gut, um, it would have been dangerous for both of us, big time." You know, like I, I knew at that time that I could kill, and um, which is really, really weird because I've always been the peaceful type. You know, like never wanted to fight really, and. And so it, it comes like, like a huge rush and, um, yeah. So I I totally understand when your brother said, you know, like physical changes and yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, even when you're describing that and like, I I could feel that like it's, and I'm, I am like a peaceful guy that hugs everybody I meet. Yeah. But the thought of somebody like consciously and deliberately hurting my child stirs something in me that I'm like, Ooh, and, you know, it's interesting because I've actually felt that feeling before, but it was in a very different situation. Um, and it's actually, I guess, it's a part of my story because I went through trauma about 10 years ago where I was nearly beaten to death. And after being traumatized, like the effect of that and reliving it and, and so on, uh, I was living in South Africa. And there's a lot of incidents that kept happening, whether we're getting broken into, getting robbed, friends of ours getting attacked and so on. After a while, like I just remember getting like so angry, being like, I hope they break into my house tonight. I'm setting a trap so that I can kill them. And there's a part of my brain that was like, whoa, whoa, what is happening here? But this is a traumatized brain suffering from PTSD. I'd never had my, you know, this is only, you know, a couple of months after the, the first trauma, uh, trauma. And it was when I realized that I was getting to the place I was getting so angry, I was feeling like I was constantly under attack and under siege, that that I, I literally wanted to kill somebody. That I was like, I, we have to get out of this country. I said to my wife, we we have to leave, like because something bad, one way or another, is going to happen again, yeah. and this time it's going to directly, in, like, well, the first one directly involved me, I guess, but it's like this time I'm going to be the instigator, and that's not going to be good, and it's like w- we have to leave because this is not who I am, and exactly, like, this is starting to, this is starting to well up in me, and so. It was, you know, it was, it's quite something for, 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 and, for and, yeah.
0: And you realize that, um, those triggers exist, you know, like in us, you know, like, which is the yeah. scary part, you know, like, you're like, wow. Okay. I do have that, you know, in me, you know, yeah. and yeah, it really well, is scary.
1: Cause I, I never liked getting into fights even like, you know, I, I got into fights as a kid cause I had a temper and I was a pretty big kid. So I don't know, kids seem to want to test themselves on me or something. But I always felt I would go home and cry after being in a fight. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. how like, I, I don't want to say like soft hearted almost sounds wrong. But like that's how much I, like, I felt empathy for the person that I was in a fight with. I would go home and I would cry because they were hurt because I was I was usually bigger and stronger than the kid trying to pick a fight with me. I don't know why they would pick on me, and and uh, I would go home and cry after that. That's the kind of person I am. So this yeah. to have that well up in me and go oh there's there's this other side this dark side, and maybe every I think every human being has that capacity, but you know very Absolutely. rarely you know, get, get driven to the place where that gets awakened within us, and you know we hope that we never find ourselves in a situation where it does get stirred up in us. You know.
0: Yep. I had a I had a friend that. um was you know like for one night he was a doorman at a bar but this bar was known to have like really uh, not good people going there yeah yeah and um one guy tries to go come in uh the bar with a glass of whatever drink sure, and yeah. um so gentle giant my friend you know like really like just put like a sentence on you know like kind of on his shoulder and say hey buddy you know like a you know, first night you know like i'm you know i don't want to any any arguing and all that and um but you can't come in with with your drink you know like so and the guy smashes the drink and it's like i'm gonna fuck you up and you know like so so wow he's literally beating the shit out of my friend you know like i'm I'm, i wasn't there but you know like when he told me was clearly traumatized for you know like got kicked and punched and you know like the old thing and at some point he said, "There's something in me that I knew that I." And he remembers hearing someone saying, "We can't separate them because, like, the the instigator—um—not my friend, but the instigator was actually um uh, a guy in the um either Els and joles or some something like that. You know, like so they couldn't, you know, like, they couldn't split the fight.
1: Right? They couldn't um, stop it. You don't step in in that situation. It. Yeah." exactly and
0: so someone shouted that and so they couldn't you know like so they couldn't and so my my friend heard that he's like oh shit okay so there's not even someone that can come and give me a hand here because you know like there's they could be in trouble themselves and um and yeah you know like so so it you know like it's it it kind of um finished when my friend lost his shit completely and said okay so it's i'm i'm just going to kill you and and turn around You know, it was like a lot of struggling and all. And at 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 some point, the the, the individual I had is back on a pool table and he grabbed one of the pool uh, ball and just went to smash. He's like, I was ready to cave his brain in. You know, like it was just, I'm just going to kill him. And someone said, stop. You know, like, okay, you know, we're going to take care of the guy. And some of the, like the, the motorcycle club leaders Came back a few hours later saying, okay, our friend, you know, like our buddy was drunk. Sorry about that. You know, like, you know, like you, you, you will not hear from us or him again. Um, but the description of what happened and, you know, like the kind of almost like the darkest side of this individual of my friend actually was just like, oh shit. He's like, yeah, I, this <laughs> yeah. is, I know I have this in me and you know, like this is scary. Yeah. Really yeah. scary.
1: Uh, did that um, take place in, in, in Montreal or?
0: Well, it was, um, a few, I'd say an hour or so from Montreal. So it was really like kind of the outskirt of, um, people that, you know, like do work fields and, you know, like they're, they're like in, in the, uh, yeah, you know, like the, the, this region has, um, that we're talking about, you know, like the, there's a lot of tobacco, uh, tobacco fields. So people are tough, you know, like we, there's tough people down there and, um, and those bike clubs, they're all over the place in that region. So, yeah, yeah. there's, you know, th- th- it could happen. I've seen a few. Um, and Boris tries to say, you know, like, no, no, no no leather jackets with patches on, and, you know, like, yeah, fuck yeah. You, you, know? <laughs> you know, like, so, anyways, like, it's uh, uh, not the best place to hang uh, when you're a 20 year old full of testosterone. It's, no, no it's kidding. Not,
1: yeah. I remember when I was uh, living out in Quebec City, so I spent some time in the Navy, and uh, there's a school, actually, in, in, in Vieux-Quebec. Uh,
0: Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, no? Yeah. Uh,
1: it's Well, it's right under Chateau Frontenac, specifically the engineering division of the okay. Navy. And uh, so it's a beautiful location. But I remember going to a bar there, and I was wearing a Barry Sanders um, football jersey, so Detroit Lions. Oh, no, I just love the jersey because I love the blue color, and Barry Sanders is a really talented running back. and. And so I went into a a bar and I guess you're not allowed to wear football jerseys or sports jerseys into a bar. (laughs) I I I didn't
0: never heard of that one.
1: (laughs) Neither did I, but I walked into this bar and and, uh, I had a hoodie on actually and took the hoodie off. And um, I, you know, uh, so I had this football jersey on and these two enormous guys come up to me and basically like picked me up like under my armpits and like i'm i'm 6'1 like i was 6'1 2'15". i'm not a small guy and these two guys are like huge made me look small and like picked me up and literally carried me to the door and were like you can't wear that in here like i was like so fuck though <laughs> yeah i was like what i was like man i'm just coming here to try and you know have, have a good time or something i'm trying to but i guess what, the, what they were trying to tell me is like if you wear that in here there's a potential there's gonna you know someone's gonna see that and there's gonna be a fight or something like that so wow That's really weird. Yeah. That one stuck with me because I just, I remember like I wasn't, I hadn't, uh, like I hardly ever drink. Like, so it wasn't like I was drunk. I wasn't causing a scene or anything like that. I was literally just going there to hang out with some of my friends and getting like carried out. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of, I think we were about maybe half an hour outside of the city itself. And it's now, you know, it's like two o'clock in the morning or something. So I was like, oh, now how am I going to get back to like the barracks and, and, you know, try and explain this one. So,
0: (laughs) and, 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 you know, um. Quebec, um, you know, like I'm I'm a, I'm a French speaking Nate, you know, like native, but um, there is something. um, There's a cleavage uh, between the English speaking people and the French speaking people. um, So that, that what they call the greater Montreal Island, which is like Montreal and some of the closed suburbs are, you can go full blown bilingual. um, But Quebec, quebec the city as much as you know a lot of other places as soon as you're out of that outskirt of that greater montreal area it is a shit show you know like i work in sales and (laughs) i work for an american company um in seattle and you know like i i asked so many times like can we get this translated and it was like well no you know like we don't have that translated i'm like all right guys and like i'm just telling you You you're like it's uh It's gonna be a painful process, you know, like because you know, like a lot of the let's say potential customers um are you know, like they just don't speak English at all. You know, like so it, it is um yeah, it's a weird situation. So that could have been something.
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe it was just clear that I wasn't from there. And like my my yep. French is pretty bad. Like I can I could survive and probably find food and get directions to the bathroom and, <laughs> you know, things like that. Because I'd spent maybe, I'd been there for like six months. And so it wasn't like I couldn't speak it whatsoever, but it was, it certainly wasn't, yeah, it was nothing close to fluent. And so, yeah. Yeah, it, w- it was just it was an awkward situation, but nonetheless, Quebec City. I, I really think it's probably one of the most beautiful cities in North America in terms of, and it's so neat, like historically and culturally, like it's fascinating. It is. the place there.
0: Yeah, and it, like it's actually you know like the pretty much like the 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 first region where Europeans uh step step foot. You know, like, but yeah. I, and I mean that's besides Christopher Columbus and in, in South America, but I mean to to kind of discover up north. Yeah, I mean, like it 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 shows and it transpires that that kind of that history and you know like there's something about even though, um, you know like the old country is a such a young country when you look at it in in a cultural angle, yeah, um, which is a bit odd. You know, like I had a conversation from someone in Syria. Um, I went I went to the barber shop and you know like I was talking to a Syrian individual, a young kid, yeah, and um. I was telling him that, you know, that the cultural, cra- he, he was a Muslim and we had a conversation around, you know, like kind of the cultural clashes going on both in France right. and there's yeah. so many places where it goes, where, where, you know, like it's, it's going on. And I said one, you know, like one thing that, you know, like it's kind of an irony that we almost reject our ancestral, um, cultural, um, history, um, you know like for the first nations and all that you know like because they were there before us you know like so Mm. um so we we decided to kind of almost get rid of that in our history books therefore we we were becoming such a young culturally you know fed country yeah that we can't you know like unless you can really identify yourself and and kind of justify who you are and and really kind of assimilate and and you know like declare who you culturally socially politically are don't sure you're going to freak out when some you know people from syria comes with the you Mm -hmm. know like the muslims and you know like the the, the different religions and different cultural beats and i mean yes you don't fucking know who you are you know like how can you accept who someone else is you know like and i was referring to the italian pride for example or the Mm -hmm. asian pride or the uh, where, you know, like they wear the flag and they, you know, like there really is a patriotism that I don't see much in Canada because, you know, like we yeah. have yet to kind of solidify our identity, you know, like it's...
1: Yeah, well, of the Canadian provinces, I would say Quebec probably has the strongest patriotism and the strongest sort of cultural identity. And yeah. I was there in 08 for the um, the 400th anniversary celebrations because really the, the founding of Quebec as a French colony was much earlier than, than being a part of the dominion of the British Empire. Yep. And so, yeah, they had like this huge party on the Plains of Abraham and all these free concerts and fireworks every night. And the the performance they put on for the 400th anniversary of Quebec, like it was, I would say, 10 times better than the Canada Day celebrations. Like it was, it was a, you know, a totally we different know the party, <laughs> We know how to party, John. We know how to party. Yeah. So... I mean, I, and I, so I have to say, like, I really, like, I really enjoyed being in Quebec. It was, you know, and I, I think if I was to spend more time there, like, I, th- I think the French would come back, and I would, I would certainly pick up the French. And so, I may, maybe, like, I live in Alberta, but I'm not a native Albertan. I'm, I'm from the west coast. I'm from Vancouver Island, and uh, I think there, there were times that I just, I felt like a sense of envy that Quebec had this strong cultural identity. And it may not be that I necessarily agree with every stand that they take but I respect it because I'm like, I understand now, because when we were kids growing up, you know, pre-internet and all of this, like I'm come up in 40. So I remember growing up without the internet, you know, and when we were offered like French immersion and we would make jokes because we didn't understand. We we're like, Oh, French immersion. Yeah. Just don't let them up kind of thing. It was just because yep. we were like, why would we even, why would we ever learn French? Like it's stupid, you know, and, and so on. And now I'm like, man, I wish I would have applied myself more in linguistics because listen, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not only
0: that, but it, it, it really is when, you come from vancouver um yeah you've seen you know like a lot of the provinces and i tried to explain that to my um to to my 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 boss for example which is from new york and um, i tried to explain to him that it, this is almost like a country in a country
1: yes yep
0: i'm like you know like there's there's not i i i told him about bill 101 for example you know, like yeah. so. So, for those that don't know, Bill One Hundred One is a law that was um, approved by the, the the Quebec government to protect French in Quebec. You know, like so. So, mostly what it says is that you know, like if you're gonna have um, you know, like a, a store display um, or a store banner. The French version of the store name has to be bigger, for example, than the you know, and so most of the, all of the menus has to have have to have, um, you know, like a, a stronger presence of French uh, in in their menu or under uh, literature or whatever, um, and this is only for the sake of kind kind of trying to protect and 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 keep alive. Um, like, like that little pocket of French-speaking people, you know, like it's so, and so yeah, the government yeah. got involved in, in kind of that process.
1: And that, that's when interesting, I, I was going to say, because I think, you know, if you try to do that in Vancouver with the English language, there would be quite a bit of backlash. But because Quebec and and the the French speaking Quebecois kind of fall into a minority status overall as a whole, because if you go to, you can go down certain streets in Vancouver for example, um, because Vancouver has so it's so diverse, right? Being a port city, right? You have like a section of Vancouver that's predominantly let's say East in we would call them East Indian, they're from India, you know. And then you have like another section that's predominantly Chinese, and and you can go down a street and you really don't see an English word, ever, you know the the entire street might be lined with businesses with only like sort of characters in Mandarin or Cantonese, and it, it you know it feels a little bit strange sometimes being there, but I could imagine totally. if 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 they were to try to impose some sort of English language restriction on it, that there would be quite a bit of backlash or perceived racism or or something like that. But I think with the Quebecois, because you they're, they're a minority population within Canada, it's like well we're trying to protect and preserve a minority identity, and so yep. it's now seen as acceptable.
0: And and. It is it is almost odd to see like that spot on that map of you know like provinces in Canada where that there's that spot in between Nova Scotia and you know and and Ontario yeah where you know like the, for some messed up reason mostly it, it's historical but it's you know like the, they, they keep their you know like they're they're keeping their french language alive and you know, yeah. and and they're protected and um and i you know like i i wouldn't change it you know like i i love oh. especially in the artistry and the creativity that that comes out of it um there are Absolutely, some yeah. some artists that do almost like the hybrid and we have like the franklish artists that are <laughs> yeah amazing and you know like so yeah i i i you know i'm i'm quite proud of it you know like it's uh something that you know and at to your point i think the bilingualism whatever two language you pick you know like it's super important you know like uh some would def- you know like argue that you know like spanish would be a better you know <laughs> spending of my time but you know it's um i don't i don't regret at all being uh at least bilingual so
1: absolutely yeah and you know i think if I was to live somewhere else in Canada, like Quebec City, uh, I go back to. That, I'd actually really, I think, I'd enjoy living there. It'd be a bit of a challenge for my wife, she's from Australia, um, in terms of learning to function. But we've lived in we've lived in Mexico, we've lived in Poland, we've lived in Italy, lived in Turkey. So we've lived in c- various countries around the world where we are a minority, both a visible minority and linguistic, you know, linguistically stunted, if I could put it that way. Yeah. And you know, so we we kind of know what that experience feels like, and it's actually. It's actually pretty exhausting, and so I now like, especially having traveled as extensively as we have, like I, I absolutely understand when um, foreigners come to live in Canada, and then you when you meet a native language speaker of whatever language is your native language, why you don't want to speak English. I'm like, yeah, because brain absolutely. just gets, your brain just gets tired. <laughs> like it's yes. just, I remember we were living in Poland, and we lived in the city called Włoszowice. And it's not, this is not a tourist city like Warsaw, Warsaw or Krakow. This is just like 100,000 people, and it's just as Polish as you get. It's gray and boring and dull and an industrial city. I remember getting on the bus and seeing this black guy, and I was like, you are not Polish. <laughs> I know this, and he's American. And he was there, he was playing for, for the um, professional basketball team. That was situated in that city because Poland has its own, you know, professional basketball league as as many European countries do. And I remember just like sitting beside him and being like, I know you're not Polish. And it felt so good to talk to somebody other than my wife in English. Because Polish is such a hard language to learn, and it's just, and the Polish people are very unforgiving when you try to learn their language. It felt so good just to sit down with another English speaker and be like, "Oh, yeah, like my, my brain is not tired now, just because I can God. speak." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, don't have to, I don't have to think about what I say. So, yeah. Um, all right,
0: if I if I come back to my, you know, I don't want it. Was uh, for a while for the people that listen. It was the cold turkey political show. I'm done with it. It's over. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. It was the birth and death of the political segment of my podcast. Um, (laughs) The one episode. um, (laughs) Exactly. You know, like just a piece of an episode was, you know, again, you know, like the... uh, the the yeah the birth and the, the mice of that portion, um, it was super interesting. It's just you know like I I find myself funny that you know like I I sometimes have those bubble. Um, the uh, the show usually start um, if I do my regular programming. Um, uh, it, it's it's mostly a question of rewinding your life story tape, yeah. um, and if you, if I would have. If I'd ask you, where should I rewind this to either an event that happened to you or something you witnessed that kind of defined who you eventually became or, or you know, has, you know, has had an impact in your life and, and transformed you? Where, where would we rewind that?
1: 100%. We go right back to South Africa, 29 years old. It was 2000 and... Uh, 2010, 2011, sorry, living there. And, uh, that was a time that I was nearly beaten to death. And, you know, it was a really incredibly difficult experience to go through. It was traumatic. It was, you know, I went through years of mental health struggles because of it. Uh, but I would not remove that experience from my past because. Can
0: you set the table, John, a bit about. Yeah, you know, like, absolutely.
1: What, what... So when we were, we, we, my wife and I did about three years of traveling around the world and we lived in Mexico. We met a guy from South Africa when we were living in Mexico he came to us to live with us in Poland and then he invited us to come down to South Africa because his parents were running this not for profit organization helping underprivileged youth. And so we went down there and so we we're working out on a nature reserve. So this is, you know, a few hundred hectares, like giraffes, rhinos, monkeys, that kind of thing, rangers, surrounded by, you know, fence and all this kind of stuff, about forty five minutes out of the city. And, uh, so we're, we have like a cabin in there. There's a, a dormitory, like a blue sh- or like washroom facilities and then like a student like learning center. So we were kind of like live in facilitators Monday through Friday. And, you know, one Monday night, this was in August, which is in, in the Southern hemisphere, This winter time. So it was dark. Uh, I finished my dinner early. Everybody else is in the sort of the dining hall and I'm walking back to the instructor's cabin, which is maybe 150 meters away or a few hundred feet away. Um, tucked into the bushes, so it's all kind of off to the side, away from some of the other buildings. And I go back there, and as I get to the door, the door is slightly ajar, and that should have like, you know, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. I look back and I go, that should have triggered something in my mind, but in my head, I was like, oh, maybe I just forgot to shut the door, <laughs> you know, or in the middle of nowhere, we're on a nature reserve, all this kind of stuff. Open the door. There's three guys inside the cabin, and again, the first thought was I actually recognize one of their faces because he was one of the rangers, but he was not in uniform. But my first thought was, well, maybe maybe on the weekend they discovered something wrong with the cabin and they're just coming to fix it now. <laughs> no. There was a the fourth guy who I didn't see. He was outside the cabin, and he hit me across the head with a rock. And the first hit across my forehead all of a sudden, you know, it dawns on me this is a really bad situation. And I remember, so I was wearing a collared golf shirt, not unlike one that I'm wearing today. And I remember him grabbing the scruff of that shirt. And smiling as he swings this rock at my head. And really I like I knew he was smiling because that was the one thing that kind of shone. And the as this rock is smashing across my forehead and he's got a smile on his face, and I start screaming for help. And he and he's like, you know, that was really that was probably the most traumatic part of this incident. This guy is trying to smash my head in with a rock and he's telling me to stop screaming for help, kind of thing. And nobody could hear me because they're like 150, 200 meters away in this building. They're all making a bunch of noise, having dinner, all that kind of stuff. So, here I am in the dark and as I stumble on the ground, so I've been I've been concussed, now I've been hit across the head a couple of times, and they all just start like stomping and kicking and 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 beating on me. And the thought's going through my head like I just like I can't die tonight. <laughs> like that was I, that was this basic thought running through my head. And I remember thinking like, I want to see my wife. I want to see my mom and my dad. I want to see my brother again. Like that's, that's all it that was going through my head. Everything else in my life was irrelevant at that point in time. And I, I managed to, to sort of get to my, my hands, and knees into and my feet, um, and stumble over to the building where they were. And for some reason they didn't pursue me because it wasn't like I was moving quickly and they had a knife and thank, oh, they had knives and they hadn't actually stabbed me either. Like, so there's all these things that I look back, all these little things, these little details that I'm like, I could, I was, I was very close to dying that night. Like if I, if I'd fallen unconscious from the hits across the head and the concussion, like they would have just beat me until I was, until I was a pulp essentially. But why they didn't chase me, I don't know. But that's probably one of the reasons why I'm alive today. So we, we got trapped in that building for about 45 minutes before the police actually showed up and it was kind of a minor miracle. The police actually showed up. It happened to be a senior police officer was walking past an office where a phone rang and he picked up the phone and dispatched officers because in Southern Africa, the police largely are there to collect a paycheck and not get hurt. <laughs> that's it. You know? Yeah. it's We we don't realize how lucky we have it in Canada where we have, by and large, a very professional police force who is highly trained and highly competent and so on. It's not to say they're perfect, but you go down there and you have people who just basically they're corrupt and they don't want to get hurt. Like that's it
0: and do you know John w- were were they were they there to steal w- what was their and you know, like what was the plan i mean on on their
1: side i can't say with 100% certainty they beat, a, beat a, a white farmer to death the night before um the cops told us that and they shouldn't have like there's more like thank you for telling that the, they sm- they told me they smashed his head in like a pumpkin and that that was his words and i was like that's what they were they're they aiming to do w- with me as well because one of them was a ranger, it's like the, the way it works in South Africa is there's a lot of like uh, kind of like underground criminal networks and spies and things like that in in a very primitive kind of way, and they would have they would have seen us driving through the gate every day, and and they would have just tipped off somebody that there's these white people here, and so part of it was really they didn't know us they didn't know who I was they didn't know I'm from Canada they knew nothing about me the only thing they really knew is that I have white skin. And so a part of it I'm I'm quite certain is there's an animosity towards me or I'm just wrong place wrong person not me Jonathan but just me being having white skin because there's this feeling of they've been historically or culturally oppressed by people with white skin and so their actions are really along the lines of taking back something that they feel was taken from them you know justified yeah. or not whatever you know I, well, that's that's how I kind of reconcile what it was they were doing to me because they did beat to death a farmer the night before robbery was like a secondary motive. It was like, okay, we'll get these things. Cause they went and re- they, they went and cleaned out all the students dormitories as well. You know, while we were trapped in this building and they, they, you know, tried to smash the doors down the shovels and they kind of left us trapped in there. We weren't, none of us, we didn't know how many guys were out there. And so they kind of went and they ransacked, you know, all, and these are all black students as well. They ransacked, took all their cell phones, all their electronics, all this kind of stuff. And so, but I would say largely, I, 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 I believe that this was racially motivated. Um, and secondarily it was, it was robbery because I look back now and the Monday morning we'd come back from our weekend away and went to the cabin and we'd go, man, the cabin's kind of in a bit of a mess. We'll have to tell the weekend facilitator just to, you know, that was our thought just to, uh, you know, kind of tidy up afterwards, not leave it such a mess for when we come back on the Monday morning kind of thing. But looking back now, I think what actually happened was they went to ransack the cabin the, night, the uh, on the weekend and we weren't there. And they were they were hanging out in wait because it's a huge nature reserve that they can hide just about anywhere, you know. And basically, they were lying in wait until nighttime, until we were going back to the cabin. And I'm so grateful that it was me that went back to the cabin and not my wife, because it would have been probably a much worse, more horrific situation. Scenario. Yeah. 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 So the 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 fallout from that was um, I I became a binge eating food addict. That was my, that became my coping mechanism for, for dealing with the trauma and the PTSD. I guess I'm lucky I didn't turn to alcohol and drugs. I had, and it wasn't even that I deliberately turned to food as a, like it wasn't, I didn't make a conscious decision that I'm using food to medicate my trauma. I, I think it's coming from a different part of the brain. It was just, I just started doing that. And and the way that I explain it now, looking back is, you know, I feel pain, I eat food, I feel better. It's really like almost that basic. Yeah. Uh, you know? And so, I ended up gaining probably 115 pounds, 120 pounds, give or take over about a six month span, which is like, now I'm a pretty big guy as it was like, I was already like six, six, one, two, 10, two, 15 kind of thing prior to that, but I was pretty athletic and pretty strong, but I obviously have this propensity for gaining weight. I mean, I see obesity runs in my family and you, now you add in stress, not sleeping massively like, and it wasn't, I wasn't binge eating broccoli, like whatever, whatever junk food, cheap junk food, I get my hands on pop chips, candy, whatever, just mass consuming it. And it was this, like, it felt like this out of control compulsion. And, um, and so it, it really, you know, we came back to, to Canada after our travels and this, we, we came back, it would be about a year and a half after this happened before we actually made, made our way back to Canada for this. And like I came back, obviously a different person. Um, I here was I was traumatized. I, I was now struggling with mental health issues. I was massively like heavier than people had ever seen me before. So there's all the shame around this, and and kind of the shame of talking about what happened to me because you know even though I was jumped by four guys, and we know now that it was four four men. You know, it, I felt so ashamed of all of these things having happened to me, and and so on. So it was really this this struggle to sort of reconnect with this old life that I used to have like it, it felt like that was something that was taken away from me that night that I was never going to get back
0: the um so when you get back here there wasn't yet a process of healing
1: not really I'd, I'd been through a couple of trauma counseling sessions but it's expensive and I didn't have the money for it and yeah because it hadn't happened in Canada, like there, there wouldn't have been some sort of provision made. I wasn't even eligible for EI. I, was, I wasn't even eligible for welfare or anything because i had been out of the country for more than three years. And so I really, and I think the other part of it is like, I didn't know what kind of help I needed. The, the, like, uh, how do I say this? I, I choose my words carefully because I, I, I love my parents dearly. And they did the best they could with what they have. And they're amazing parents. But they didn't know either. Like So there was no pattern for me. There's no guidance for me. There's no way of no. knowing how do I deal with this. I don't even know what's wrong with me. And so I then turned to, well, I need to lose weight. That's my problem is I'm overweight. If I can lose weight and so on. And so I repeatedly tried to lose weight. I, I went through all the different diets, I, I, you know, from raw food vegan to just about, a, you know, keto carnivore. And that's like the spectrum of things that I had tried. And none of these things were working, and I really I started to turn my hatred towards myself because I felt as though my body had had betrayed me because it went from being sort of this this athletic guy to feeling like I was this athlete trapped in this fat body, and I really started to hate my body for for how I felt it had let me down, and so I was really in this dark place in a sense, like self-loathing, and I'd, I'd almost sometimes like binge eat to spite myself because I was so angry at my body. I you know yeah and it. I look back now and it sounds crazy to, to hear me so, describing this because I feel like that was a different person. Like I am not that person now, but that's, that's where I was at. And you know, it, it, it was when I hired a coach cause I tried hiring coaches to lose weight. And c- clearly they didn't, I didn't know what I was looking for and they had no idea how to deal with somebody like me, you know? And when I finally hired a coach who he modeled for me compassion and I didn't know compassion is what I needed. What I mean by that is he, he didn't enable or he didn't encourage my unhelpful behaviors. He didn't say, well, you're halfway through that peach and you might as well eat the whole thing. But he didn't use shame and guilt and, and, and beat me up or, or, or berate me for my my failures, but he helped me to understand at least where the behaviors were coming from. And he taught me to how to really show myself compassion and love, which we really don't hear talked about a lot even today, sort of in the masculine realm. And that really, that was really the turning point for me was this, like, all of a sudden I had to learn, like, what is self-love? What is self-compassion? I've never, never even thought about this before. It's never even occurred to me. Now I've got to learn what this even means and try to restore this relationship with myself and my body and learn to actually love it even as it was, you know. And so that was, that was kind of this the situation that I, that I found myself kind of going through. Um, I'd also grapple with anxiety and, and depression and, and, you know, anyone who's suffered with anxiety will tell you, well, I think one of the worst aspects of it is wondering when the next episode's happening, <laughs> yeah. it, you know,
0: it, so. Almost and then like I, always on standby.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd got into business into this, this bad business relationship, like it didn't seem bad. It was someone who was somebody who I thought was a friend, but it turns out he's a, like a narcissist and a pathological liar and he, and I'm an empath and he just played me like a fiddle. I, I was left holding the bag. It cost me life savings when it failed. And like all of this stuff came to a head between like 2017 and 2018, where I was just like, everything was taken away from me. I was like smashed and broken. And, you know, except for my wife, I tell you what, my wife, we're, we're coming up on our 15th anniversary and she is, wow. Like, I'm just, you know, I think about it now. And she's stuck with me through all of this. She would not like ever leave me because it was like, she said, like, I knew you were always in there. But was
0: she, was she raising her worries and, you know, like that kind of, okay. So
1: she didn't, and, and for her, I mean, she didn't know how to deal with me. She didn't know how to deal with my, so like sometimes I would shut down emotionally, you know, we'd have some sort of petty dispute and I would just like shut down and stop speaking because I didn't know how to process my, I didn't know how to do anything with my emotions. So all I would do is just like shut down and stop speaking to her. And that was like the worst thing I could do to her. But I also, there was a point of a time in my life where, you know, I remember saying to her, like, just go home to Australia. Like, you, you don't, don't, I'm like an anchor in your life, just dragging you down. You deserve better than this. You, you don't waste your time being with me. I'm like, I'm hopeless. I'm a lost cause. Just go home and, and leave. You're me.
0: literally feeling like a waste of time.
1: Yeah. And she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't. She was like, no, I I said, I'm in this for life. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fiercely loyal to her now because of that, you know, she just in, in my darkest hour and t- my time of greatest need where I was at my lowest of lows and trying, even almost like trying to push her away, not physically. I'd never, i never, never physically did anything to her, but like in every other way, emotionally and, and and so on, trying to push her away. And she would not listen to it because she's like, I know who you are and this isn't who you are. And she, she yeah. didn't know how to unlock me or how to help me through this but she just knew that she was not going to leave me in this situation
0: how do you um how you know like how do you you know pick yourself up from kind of you know like it's the bottoms (laughs) of the bottom right you know like and and how do you kind of pick yourself up to um really engage yourself a hundred percent into you know making your life better
1: For me, it it actually started with something really simple. It was brushing my teeth. And what it was is for me, that became an act of self-care. So I was living out this belief that I'm worthless and my actions were showing it. And so this little action of brushing my teeth became this anchor where it was like I did something to care for myself today. It was something that was contrary to the belief I held about myself. And it became this anchor behavior that I could kind of build other little things on top of. Um, as I started, I wanted to to overcome the anxiety that I'd experienced and I, I didn't want to use a medication. I was pretty stubborn in that way because I tried it and made me feel like a zombie. And so... I started looking into what can I do to at least make it less severe and less less frequent, basically. And so, uh, I really started to prioritize my stress management. So, I took up meditation, um, took up walking. I quit going to the gym for six months because just going to the gym was triggering. It was like too intense for me. Um, m- my wife, she supported me in prioritizing my sleep. I cut all stimulants, caffeine, chocolate, all that kind of stuff was was out of my life. Everything I did, everything I could to just like calm my nervous system down. And in the same vein, in that same time, I I started practicing these little acts of self-care and started to sort of shift that narrative. And it was as I started to rebuild this relationship with myself through these little acts of self-care, that that the real shift started to happen. Why I think that's important is because sometimes we, people might say, look at my story or someone else's story and see like where I'm at now and think like, it must've been this lightning bolt from heaven or something. There's, I'm like, no, it was actually this little no. process of like baby steps. And there's a lot of slip ups along the way, because keep in mind, like I still have the brain of a binge eating food addict. I've lost and kept off over a hundred pounds, but I still have this brain of a binge eating food addict. That. Yep. And and I think if you if you're a recovered alcoholic, you would understand like that tendency or propensity still is in my brain. I wish it wasn't there, but it is, and so I have to, to this day, like manage my environment and my my food environment and my social environment maybe differently than somebody who's never dealt with this might have to.
0: And and you know you're absolutely right. You're like there's almost like an addict gene. Yeah. You know, inside of us, you know, like, so, so, you know, like naturally obsessive and compulsive, you know, like I yeah. told you about the Spartan races, but you know, like it's, it's all about, um, I mean, you know, like in every aspect of my life, I need to be careful. Um, yeah. It, you know, so if it's not, um, I was telling, um, another guest that all of my close friends, you know, they're, they're going to ask me the kind of question that is, um, Hey, uh, I'm looking for uh, I don't know, like a a stereo. You know, like have have you looked into that? Because they know that you know, like if I've just <laughs> yeah. one recently, you know, like I I compulsively made my research on yes. what is yeah. the best. You know, like so there is um there's something about um like even handling or managing sleep, for example. You know, like I need to be super careful about that. You know, like not the yeah. I, I sure do need sleep, but it is repeating night after night fuck it's it's close to midnight again you know like will i ever learn you know like and it's it's so weird you know like it's there really is like the you know like the drunk promises of okay tomorrow nine o'clock i'm in my bed you know like it's yeah yeah. no i still i still fucking do it you know (laughs) i can you know 16 years sober and i still do the these mistakes like where i'm like okay yeah. You know, like I'm tired this morning. That's enough. You know, like I'm I'm gonna go to bed early. You know, like I need to, you know, like recharge your batteries, blah, blah 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 All these promises. And next thing you know, it's eleven. I'm watching Yellowstone yeah. on Amazon Prime. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, just a, just another one. You know, like and like like it like, yeah, like yeah. an addict, you know.
1: <laughs> well that that's you know, and, and I I'm aware of it too. Like it's why I don't play video games. Um, because I, I get triggered, and I, I just, I obsess about it, and and my wife, you know, she says, like, sometimes I love your brain, sometimes I hate your brain, and what she means is, like, you know, if she ever wants to know a random fact about something, it's probably in my brain somewhere, because I, you know, I, when I was trying to lose weight, I turned to, like, obsessively researching nutritional supplements and nutrition science, um, and, and, you know, having that foundation of knowledge is really, you know, incredible for, for the work that I do now, but back then. I was literally, I didn't realize it consciously, but I was actually avoiding the work I needed to do, which was the work on myself, my relationship, myself, my body. I was trying to find a way around all of that difficult work by by find, you know, trying to find some sort of supplement or nutrition plan or nutrition strategy or something like that to, to lose the weight without having to do the real work. And so, there, there's this like, yeah, this obsessive propensity that still exists in me. And You know, I don't think I'm I'm clinically bipolar, but there is a condition called cyclothymia, and I don't have a clinical diagnosis, but I'm fairly certain that I'm somewhere in that spectrum where I'm now aware of it, and I communicate this with my wife, like there's periods of time where I'm kind of in a, like a, uh, you know, just under the radar kind of manic phase, or there's an under the radar kind of low phase, and it's, again, it's not high enough to be like a, a manic episode, not low enough to really be clinically depression, but there's this awareness that there's kind of this cycle to my, you know, week to week or month to month existence and and like i used to be ashamed of it but i think now having the awareness and being open and talking about it means that like i don't have to try to i don't have to try to hide it anymore or or my struggles i'll say to my wife like hey you know what? it's probably easier if you don't bring that food into the house it just it's it's you know i can white knuckle my way through it but it makes my life more difficult
0: yeah yeah um it's it's um you know like you've covered so many things that you know like even myself you know like i had you know like i have to be careful and i had to be careful um the nutrition is something that you know like it it's almost like a rabbit hole of um if you fall into it that becomes just crazy uh in terms of you know like you you never end that conversation or that you know like that research um the other thing is um how do you manage it today? You know, like, what, what is, uh, you know, like, ha- what is, um, what would you say is, you know, and there's no pun intended here, but you know, <laughs> both spiritually, physically, and mentally, what is a healthy diet for John to be in yeah. a good spot?
1: Well, maybe I would take one step back and say, okay, I, so, so I, I focus on what I call like brain driven weight loss when I work with somebody so what I mean by that is we're considering multiple factors, what drives behaviors. So I could say like, yes, primarily I want to make sure if I eat a meal, it's going to contain like maybe a lean protein, a quality carbohydrate, um, lots of vegetables. And, you know, I have a rule of the thumb. I generally don't eat after 8 PM because I say I don't make good food choices after eight. Like it's just, I'm not in the fridge reaching for veggies to snack on after 8 PM. It's like, I'm looking in the cupboard for crackers, chips, chocolate, whatever. So, um, the type of personality that I am, I do better with fairly firm boundaries where it's like, it's easier for me not to bring a food into the house, or it's easier for me to just say, okay, this is my rule of thumb where I don't eat after 8 PM. My wife is more of a, like a moderator. She does better if she has like a bag of chocolates around that she can eat one whenever she wants it, but she doesn't never feels the compulsion to eat it. And if I, if I know that it's hers, I won't touch it because in my head, there's a very clear boundary there. You know, you don't touch this because you don't touch your wife's chocolate. Um, um, but whenever it's something ambiguous, it's like so. So I try to shape my environment because oh, we think a lot of our behaviors come from our conscious brain, but they actually come from the subconscious and unconscious brain. And so I want to shape my environment where I don't keep trigger foods in the house. Um, I manage my sleep and my stress and so on. Uh, I keep a fridge full, a freezer full of um, frozen vegetables because they don't really require any effort to prepare. So I have no excuse for not. You know, including them in a meal because worst case scenario, you could literally microwave frozen vegetables. I don't obviously that's not ideal, but it's better than you know. uh, It's it's a significant step forward. Let's say from maybe some kind of fast food at a restaurant. Um, I like to say that I outsource my cooking to my appliances. Uh, So I have an air fryer, instant pot, slow cooker, rice cooker, oven. These sorts of things that don't require my monitoring because I look at okay, what are all the reasons that I would say. I don't have time or I don't feel like cooking or I don't want to eat and so on. And I, I figured out a way that I can eat and prepare meals that takes me less time than it would be like sitting in a drive-through waiting to order a meal yep. and it costs me less money. So in my head, what I needed to do was I needed to create almost like a system because I kind of I have an engineer's brain as well. I'm a former engineer. and And so I needed to create a system that basically supported the behaviors that I knew would keep me healthy rather than rely on things like willpower and motivation these these things these are tools but they're not reliable the day that i'm tired i got a kid you know that has a sleep regression and doesn't sleep like i can't rely on those things so i need a system that i can fall back that doesn't require a lot of conscious effort and i think that's kind of it's a very roundabout way to answer what you're what you're asking there but i think i I hear
0: you i hear you
1: build a system that you don't have to think about that gets you to where you want to go
0: and um I, I understand that you've you've decided to make this something that you could share and and, and apply if it worked for you, you, you you assumed and I guess right that it could be applied to other people's lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what I the way that I approach it, let's say if I'm going to work with somebody in the realm of weight loss, here, here's how I approach it. I approach it as we are two experts collaborating. You are the expert of your life experience. I'm not, I don't live inside your head. We need that input in order to successfully do this. I bring my expertise in nutrition and psychology, but if I just handed you rules and you follow those rules because I told you to follow them, there's no personal autonomy in that process. I want to, let's say we know the fundamental principles that make up a healthy lifestyle. You're probably gonna manage your stress. You're probably gonna get quality sleep, hydrate activity, you know, good quality nutrition. Like it's it's not rocket science our biology hasn't changed for millennia. Like we know that part of it. But the question is, how do we take a principle and make it work for you in your unique circumstances? And so we start, here's the starting point. I want you to try to apply this in your life, this one thing. And I want you to figure out where it works, where it doesn't, what it triggers, what stops you, and how we need to adjust it until we've got it the way that it works for you. And then once that building block is in place, okay, let's put the next one in place and the next one. So what we're doing is we're working with the brain the way that our brain actually works versus the the old way of thinking was, I'm basically going to tie you in a straitjacket and starve you until you get to your goal weight. But then you take them out of the straitjacket. It's like your brain was never changed. You basically resented it and fought it the whole time. And as soon as that restriction is taken away from you, boom, you're right back to your old behaviors. If we want to lose weight and keep it off for good, we have to become a transformed person. And weight loss is just one thing. Like, honestly, I say weight loss is a proxy. Like it's people come to me because they want to lose weight, but I, I say weight loss is a doorway. It's not a destination. It's not really what we're after here in this situation. So we'll have that conversation about losing weight, but you have to know what does this really mean to you? Why do you actually want this? And so I dive into what we call the emotionally compelling reason. And for me, it's like my son, I want to be physically active and present in his life. Yep, That's what helps me make those hard and uncomfortable decisions because the choice to change a behavior. Is uncomfortable by nature our primal brain will resist change but there's a could we say there's a higher being a soul something within us as human beings that aspires to something better but the more tired we are the more we fall into that old primal brain that goes i want the behaviors i don't have to think about that make me feel good especially with the brain of an addict so that's the challenge we're up against
0: what um we're going to talk about, you know, like where can people find you? But, you know, like I would, you know, like I would say, you know, coming back to that question where, what is for you, um, kind of a daily healthy routine of making sure you take care of both, you know, like your physical shape, your mental shape and your, your, your your spiritual shape. How do you handle that on like, like very practical, Daily basis um, management of those three aspects of your life.
1: Uh, I use an app called Loop. It's one that I think it's only available on Android, and I'm sure there's a you'll find a it, those who are iPhone users, you'd find a similar sort of habit tracking app on on the App Store and iPhone. Um, but what I do is I set what I call CMGs or Can't Miss Goals. So if we want to form a, a, a habit, which is a behavior that we repeat enough times that we can now do it without thinking about it. And that's what we really want to do with a healthy lifestyle is is the less conscious thought it takes to live a healthy lifestyle, the more likely we are to be able to keep doing it. So knowing that, um, it's the repeatability of a behavior that determines whether or not it will become a habit. So let's say we take a principle like activity, move your body every day. Well, if I set my goal to, let's say, work out for an hour five days a week, the likelihood of me consistently hitting that mark is actually pretty low. I got a kid, I run a business. You know, life is a little bit unpredictable. On the other hand, if I set that goal to hit 5,000 steps every day, yes, that's a, it it would sound like a small goal when we've been told for so long that we have to hit 10,000 steps a day. But what it is, is 5,000 steps. I only have to do, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes of deliberate activity outside of how much movement I do in my day to day life to make sure I hit that goal. So it's, Like I have to be like so sick that I basically can't get out of bed to not hit that goal. Yeah. Now, every time I tick that goal off, I'm strengthening that behavior. So it becomes, you know, so, and the thing is, once a behavior is established, you can always grow it, build on it and expand it. And so it's more important. Right. So it's more important to establish the pattern of behavior than the magnitude of the behavior in the beginning.
0: And that's the physical piece. Yes. Mental and spiritual.
1: Those are, are something somewhat similar um, because let's say I take time to meditate every day. Um, and for me, meditation can be a relatively simple thing where it really But so it would
0: sense. fall into your CMGs.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, I make sure I put that in there. And like I, I make things like spend 30 minutes of playtime with my son every day, spend 30 minutes time with my wife every day. Um, and so I set these little little markers and go okay here's how i will nurture this part of my health because i, I really i'm pa- passionate about what we call deep health so looking at health not just from eating healthy food and exercise but sleep stress environment relationships social so look at all these aspects of health and i go okay what's what's a daily behavior i can do that will support that part of my health and so i kind of yep. come up with a list of like five or six things that are like my kind of non-negotiables every day and, and that's kind of how I would I would say I, that I support that.
0: Where can people find you, John?
1: Um, I would say you can send me a friend request on, on Facebook. I haven't hit my 5,000 friend limit. Um, I'm pretty open. You can just say, hey, I heard you on the Cold Turkey podcast and I wanted to have a chat. I'm very open like that. Um, I run a podcast called Between the Before and After. And uh, Alex, would love to have you as a guest on there sharing your story as well. Um,
0: I'd, be, I'd be honored, yep.
1: Yeah. Sure. And and uh, w- when it comes to nutrition coaching, it's freedomnutritioncoach.com. And so uh, I also have a free resource if anybody would be interested in it, since we're talking about sort of like compulsion and and things like that. Um, it's called Crush Your Cravings. And so it's really about helping people to navigate those impulses and urges that we have from a brain-based perspective. So it just com slash book. Um, for anybody who wants a copy of that, um, it's free. You just enter your email address and I spam you for the rest of your life.
0: Um, exactly. That's <laughs> the, yeah, it's the, <laughs> the contract, the electronic version of the contract with the devil right now, but you yes, know, like, yes. that's, uh, <laughs> we're in these ages, you know, like you, 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 everyone does it, you know, like, and I think yeah. it's, you know, like it's fair game, you know, like people produce a lot of free content, but you know, like they, they want to be allowed to, um. To uh, establish a, a, a better relation between Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, it's like getting getting permission to ha- open the door to communication because obviously exactly. I, I have a paid service offering that can help people. Like this is, obvi- this is obviously what I do to make a living and I'm, yeah. I'm deeply passionate about it. But um, I, I think that I want people to get value for free from anything I put out before they ever decide to work with me because that's my way of proving to them before they ever commit to investing and working with me that I can get you results on top of like the social proof that you'll find on my website. Anyways, you can see the stories of people I've worked with, but um, yeah, I, I want to show people, Hey, even with the free stuff I put out, including the free content, let's say I read on my Facebook personal page, I will help. help you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, you know, like, I think it's just, again, you know, like it's a fair, it's fair business, you know, like, you know, like there's so much free shit out there, yeah. you know, like that, you know, like, I mean, if, if you, <laughs> you know, if you think it's free, you're pretty you're pretty much the product, you know. Like so, you know, like it's and and it's not, you know, like it it you know like there are um, entities in that digital world that are maleficent with it. Um, yeah, but I, but you know, like th- this is not the, you know, like this is not for. It, I think it's a minority, to be quite honest. Oh, you know, oh, like, totally. a, like you know, like I'm 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 hitting almost like two hundredth. Um encounter with great people and a lot yeah. of them have you know like you know like I've I've wants to share with the world you know like how they've they've saved their ass actually literally yeah. and yeah. um and it just they just feel a calling of sharing this with anyone that you know like that is willing to listen and so and, um, yeah, I mean, like it's a, it's a, it's a fair, it's a fair exchange.
1: Well, I think what as I say, what I'm doing is, is I've evolved into the coach that I wish I would have had like eight or 10 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I've become that person that I would have needed that many years ago. And so with, with kind of the experience I have, my own personal struggles with all of this, it's really equipped me in this is very unique way to work with people. Um, cause I have a very high IQ I I can't take the credit. I got it free of charge, (laughs) like at birth. Yep. But I've got a high IQ and I've got a high EQ. It's a really kind of unique combination. It's kind of this engineer's brain with this empath sort of emotional intelligence. And so it's not really scalable what I do because I can't really clone myself. And it's not that I'm, you know, the perfect coach to work with everybody. But when I find the right person that we're we're a great fit, man, there's like magic that happens because something just goes click. And it's, I just, I love it. It just lights me up seeing, you know, because it's kind of like me saying to the the old me that you know you're going to be okay you know you're not lost and so when somebody comes to me I, I joke that my coaching superpower is x-ray vision and what it is is I look at somebody and and I have a sense pretty quickly after you know within 5 minutes I have a sense of what their potential is already I know what's possible for them. And then my engineering brain goes into high gear and already starts calculating a path to help them get there. Now I can't, I can't spit that all at them all at once, but, but it's kind of like how my brain works. It's really neat. And I just, you know, it's clearly, this is what I'm, I think what I'm called to do, if, if anything was ever a calling.
0: And it's, it's, um, you know, like in, in the anonymous fraternities, um, there's, there's a notion of a sponsor and men, you know, like, which is mm. m- basically a mentor. And, um, what you're describing here is, you know, like pretty much like the, the, um, overall conclusion of that relation is that it's, it it benefits both parties, you know, like all of the, all of the time,
1: all of the time. I I learned so much from the clients that I work with. And I say like, my goal is to create referral business, not repeat business. In other words, I want to be so successful in working with somebody that I can't help but tell other people about it because we we've succeeded together, you know? That's, that's what I want. And in and, and the age, the online age, like the consumer wields so much power in a sense, you know, you, you, you touched on the fact that people are worried about, you know, online business and nefarious activity and stuff. But I'm like, man, the consumer wields so much power, like one bad review is, but like I'm a small business, like one bad review can really put a dent in things. So that holds me to a very high standard of integrity in terms of every interaction Absolutely. I have with somebody it has to be like the uh, utmost of integrity and the utmost of like pure intention because and you'll see like if you if you google freedom nutrition coaching you'll see like 90 you know 85 95 star reviews and that they're all five star reviews i'm kind of tuning my own horn a little bit but it's because i'm so passionate about what i do and and i i believe so deeply in doing what i do with with absolute and complete integrity and uh, so so really a lot of the power lies in the hands of the consumer because of this this online age that we live in
0: yeah, and there cannot be any loose ends when you're yeah. dealing with people's lives. You know, like so, so yeah. you know, like I, 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 wouldn't go to a, you know, like a sober coach, for example, that's two and a half star of, out of five. You know, like, I was just yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, 50, yeah. 50 chance that I'm gonna get <laughs> fucked up. You know, like it's no, I'm <laughs> yeah, not gonna yeah. take that chance. You know, like so, um, John really appreciated the time spent. Um, for anyone that listens, uh, all of the links. I hope you've not pressed pause and you know, like start scribbling shit over a piece of paper that you just found. Um, everything is in the podcast description. John is yeah. going to send those links my way. I'm going to fill the description box with all of the links and all of the um, emails, um, all contacts info, all of that good stuff is going to be in the podcast description. So don't pause. Um, John, it was a pleasure meeting with you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored if I can be part of your journey as well. Oh, I love it man. Um love to bring and, over and, uh, and after it was uh, it was a uh, it was a blast. Um we we were all over the place which <laughs> is uh, a yeah. typical a typical Cold Turkey episode. Um but it's it's um it's it is what it is, you know, like it's um the the that Cold Turkey that Cold Turkey journey is really something about um to you know the the, the the genesis of the fraternities is alcoholics anonymous okay and, and long story short it's mostly a doctor that could you know that was considered just a bad fucking drunk and uh, and a and a stuck um broker uh, from New York that ends up in Ohio for some travel business reason um and this guy called Bill Watson freaks out because he knows that he cannot drink because he's going to just die and knows starts to have some hints that exchanging and talking with another drunk for some fucked up reason miracle reason um isn't thirsty anymore so he, he goes he tries to call he tries to call churches um they don't pick up or they don't they don't care or whatever but you know like it doesn't work with churches and start calling doctors, and uh, falls on Doctor Bob, and Doctor Bob says, "I'm, you know, like I'm, 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 I'm a piece of shit, literally. You know, like I'm, I'm not worth anything." Yeah. The guy's still a little drunk, an active drunk, yeah. And um, and he's like, "No, you're precisely the kind of person I need to talk to." <laughs> yeah. So goes goes to Doctor Bob, and Bill and Bob that night with pitchers of coffee, exchanges. One to 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 another, and both realized that after that night or that you know that that five six seven hours that they talked didn't feel a need for a drink, and that's how AA was uh, basically created and founded. Yeah. Um, so we for just, me.
1: We live in we, the messy middle.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like for me, it's 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 repeating two individuals that do have challenges or have had challenges in their lives, exchanging about who they are and how they feel. And for some messed up reason, I don't feel like using and you probably don't feel like having
1: a bag of Cheetos right now. Right. You know, like, so so. yeah, I love that. You know, it's, it's just supporting that because really that's, it's like, if you can, if you can help one person live a better life, I feel like you've had a successful life, you know, yeah, And, and you know, I mean, I set the goal in 2020 that I, in 10 years, I wanted to have helped 10,000 people. And so I really hope to, I, I don't, exa- I, I can't say exactly how I'm going to get there yet, but I, I'm taking steps to get to that mission because I think, well, you know, if I can help one person, maybe I can scale it up and help, help a lot of people. And so that's, that's kind of been the goal here.
0: Awesome. Thank you, John, really for your time. It was a pleasure having you and um, I yeah. wish you great success and um I hope you know like any of my guests will uh be part of that 10,000 objective for sure.
1: Yeah, thank you so much and I look forward to when we get to chat again next.
0: Take care. Bye-bye.